Lord, now we come to the time in this service when we open your word. Your word's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Your word is life's manual for living. We ask you to help us, God, to focus upon those things that you have for us to feed spiritually. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Last week we found out that a man made 50 steps to get to the Lord Jesus. Because of his issue, he was isolated and away and outside from God and where Jesus was and realized that if I'm ever going to change and get deliverance and get healing, if my life is ever going to be different, I've got to get to where Jesus is. I've got to take a risk. So he started on that 50-pace journey to get to Jesus. But on the 51st step of his journey, the Bible said he came kneeling. And when he knelt to the presence of Jesus, the Bible said Jesus did the unthinkable and touched a leper. His prayer was, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will be thou clean. And then the Lord Jesus said something to this man that kind of astonished us. He said, don't tell anybody about this. Go and rejoice in your newfound life and your healing, but don't tell anybody, don't publish that. That kind of astounded me because, hey, we would have wanted right the opposite, wouldn't we? We would have said, hey, tell everybody, tell somebody, tell anybody. Amen. In fact, that's our, our word to everybody. Tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. But Jesus said to this man, don't do that. And we find out the reason why. Because the Bible said when Jesus was about to enter into the city, he could not enter the city. He couldn't get back in. So the Bible said that then Jesus dwelt in a desert place, a lonely place outside the city. Wanted to get in, but he couldn't get in because the crowd was there so pressing to see him work some other miracle. But Jesus told him that, don't tell it because this will happen. And actually Jesus traded places with him because now Jesus is outside the city in a desert place and now he is able to join the crowd of society. So Jesus has swapped places with him. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. Amen. He traded places with us and surely he hath borne our sorrow and uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. He swapped places with us, you see. So why did Jesus tell this man, don't tell this? Because Jesus said, I've got to be true to my original reason. The apostle Paul made this statement. He said, this is a great statement, a great saying, and it's worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Wow. In fact, Jesus himself said, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. So his priority was, he's the savior of the world. His priority was, Fix your soul sickness before he fixes your issue. Make sure we get your heart right. Make sure we get you in right standing with God. Yes, 
I can heal your broken limbs. Yes, I can open your blind eyes. Yes, I can raise up people that are palsied and can't walk. But the most important thing I can do for you is I can deal with the issue of sin that is in your life. And it comes about because I have liberty. The Lord has sent me forth to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He sent me forth to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And to Jesus, that was so much more important. So when he went to church in Mark chapter 2, we find a whole different reason, a whole different scenario. Jesus is going to church at Capernaum. He's finally, in fact, our text, if you want to read it, it's Mark chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. In other words, he had to wait until he could get in the city. He had to wait until things died down a little bit. He had to wait till the people came down off their high and get back to some degree of normalcy so that he could come into the city. After some days, I don't know how many days that took them to come down from that high that they were on, but when things kind of got more able for Jesus to go in, the Bible said, some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. Brother, I don't know any greater noise we've got to make than to tell somebody that Jesus is in the house. I don't know any greater message that we've got to preach other than that Jesus is in the house. For every desperate soul and every lonely heart, the greatest news you could receive is Jesus is in the house. For everybody with an issue, for everybody with a catastrophe, for everybody with grief or sorrow, the best news available is Jesus is in the house. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad he's in the house? And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. In other words, he was preaching to a sold out crowd. Brother, he was preaching to a group of people where there was no more room. In fact, they were standing out the door blocking entrance into the synagogue. In fact, there were so many people that was, there's no way in and no way out. And Jesus was in the pulpit in the synagogue preaching the word of God. Isn't that great? Preaching, no room to receive them, not so much as about the main door, the entrance door, the main door. I want to tell you, there's sometimes when people can't come in the normal way. There's sometimes when people can't get in the way everybody that's normal comes in. Oh boy, that's good preaching. Not so much as about the door. And he preached the word of them. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Make sure you get the right four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. You might say their faith was through the roof. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, 
He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Well, what does their faith have to do with his sins? Later. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up your bed and walk, but that ye may know, that ye may know. What you know doesn't require faith. If you know something, you don't have to look into the area of unknown faith is a fact, and when you know, hallelujah, when you know, the Bible said, that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, and take up your bed, and go thy way into the house. And immediately he arose, and took up his bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Lord, I wish God would do something at harvest this morning, that when you walked out the door, you'd say, I never saw that before. I would to God that something would happen at the house today that you would leave and say, I've never in my life felt anything like that before. I wish that you could leave this meeting today and have such an encounter with the Lord Jesus that your life would never be the same. That you would say, like the soldiers who came to arrest him, never a man spake like this man. Hey, hey, Jesus was such a unique creature and a character. He was such an outstanding communicator of the word of God. Not only could he preach, he could also discern. He could also read hearts and could look inside minds and reasoning people and know what you're thinking. And the Bible said they reasoned in their hearts and Jesus knew what they were reasoning, knew what they were saying. Isn't that something that when we come to the altar, he already knows why we're here? Isn't it something that we say, Lord, help me, he already knows what the problem is? Isn't it something that when we come down to the altar, he knows the attitude, he knows the heart, he knows everything about us? knows the purpose, knows our, our call of God upon our life. He's got it all right there, right before him. Amen. What a powerful our God is. What a powerful reader. And it, The Bible says this. It is a divider of the joints and the mara of the bone, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You see, that's why when the word of God is preached, brother, there's something going on that nothing else. There's no other activity that can take the place of the preached word of God. Amen. In fact, the Bible said, it hath pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And to them that perish, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But to we which are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. Hey, there were all kind of people at church when this text I just read for you all kinds of people. There were people that were there to see another miracle. There were people that, that uh, were there with all kinds. Of, but Jesus did not come to church that day to heal anybody. 
He wasn't in the healing mood. He was in the preaching mood. And the Bible said he preached unto them the word of God. Hallelujah. But there was an interruption to that. There was an interruption to that. I want to preach to you today about opportunities. Entryways into our opportunities. I've often told you that the opportunity of a lifetime is only available during the lifetime of the opportunity. The opportunity of a lifetime is only available during the lifetime of that opportunity. There's opportunities that we have to get into his presence. Aren't you glad you took advantage of the opportunity today to come to God's house? Aren't you glad you took the opportunity that was given to you to get up this morning and to come and celebrate the Lordship of Jesus? Aren't you glad you had the opportunity to live another day for the Lord? Aren't you glad you had the opportunity to be with family and friends? Aren't you glad you had the opportunity to sit today and hear the Word of God? What an opportunity that is. What a blessing that is and what a pleasure it is to know that opportunities, but sometimes opportunities aren't always obvious. We kind of have things programmed and uh, kind of figure things out and kind of know our opportunities, but I want to tell you there are a lot of opportunities that slip by us because they weren't obvious and we missed them. And we're heard to say regretful things like, well, if I'd known that. Well, if I just thought, well, if I could just have remembered, but if I could just have known that before I did this, or that, or that, and sometimes we regret things because it wasn't obvious. I wonder sometimes if we don't miss a lot of God's blessing and healing, maybe the real opportunity you really, really been waiting on went right by you because it wasn't obvious. Sometimes you, you put things in a category of insignificant and unimportant when that's the very thing that God wants to use to bring you to the place of destiny that he has for you in your life. Sometimes you miss God's destiny because you don't know the opportunity. Oh, come on, somebody. Sometimes we misjudge the opportunity because most of the time it's really not the obvious when God moved to deliver Israel from Egypt, there, there was a, a man who was a runaway. Runaway. Been running away for 40 years. Well, don't look down your nose so smug. Some of you have been running more than that. <laughs> running. Running. Running from a call of God. Running from a purpose. Running from a plan. Running from what God wants to do. And after 40 years... On the backside of Midian, God challenged a runaway that had a criminal record. Not for shoplifting or writing bad checks. He killed somebody. He would not be on your obvious list for a deliverer. Wouldn't be, hey, do we call him Israel's first pastor? Uh, I think if our overseer walked in here and let, read a resume and said this man has served time for killing somebody, but I'm going to take a, take a vote on him. How many wants him? Are you kidding me? Why did you waste time bringing some name up here of a guy that's been a fugitive on the run for 40 years? He killed somebody, buried him in the sand, and ran and you're bringing his name up here for us to accept him as pastor? Like I say, 
sometimes opportunity is not obvious. Hey, was it your granddaughter that told you about the burning bush? Might have been yours. Debbie told me about it. Who were you talking about, Debbie, when you told me that some little kid said to him, oh, I know, it's last night. Last night I was talking to my brother, and he said his little grandbaby, Emily, said to him, said, Papa, said, have you ever seen a burning bush? He said, well, no, I don't reckon it. She said, well, if you ever see one, she's three. said, if you ever see one, you better stop. said, why is that, Emily? She said, God talks out of them things. God talks out of them things. Those things that are not obvious. And God said to Moses, what is that thing you've got in your hand? And he said, Lord, it's just a stick. Why do you want to know what I've got in my hand? He said, because what you've got in your hand is what I want to use. I'll use that stick to stretch out across Red Sea waters and roll them back. I'll use that stick to smite the rock and water will come forth to water my people. Whew. Hey, sometimes it's just not obvious to you, but it's God's opportunity for you to get on board with some great things he wants to do. You just miss it because it's not obvious. Hey, who would have thought over there at that little place where Samuel went over to the farm of Jesse and Jesse had sons and the first one was Eliam and we were going to anoint a king. When God needed a king, God needed a king and God told Samuel, go over to Jesse's house and anoint a king. Well, it's obvious that in Israeli culture, the firstborn is always the one selected. He's got the birthright. So to all of us, we would do like the daddy did, and we'd go from top to bottom. But sometimes God goes from bottom to top. Sometimes God does right the reverse of what we think. And after Eliam had come by, and Abinadab had come by, and I love the way the Holy Ghost says things sometimes. And here comes Shammah, the third son up, and he stands before him. And, and Samuel said, Lord, is this him? And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Now the ladies get mad at me sometimes for saying, if a man findeth a good wife, he's found a precious thing. Our ladies don't like being called a thing. How would you like to be a man called this? <laughs> Neither hath the Lord chosen this. What, what that speaks to us about is, it's just not obvious, you know, not obvious. And the last one had been called by the father. He was a little 17-year-old, red-headed, freckle-faced, scrawny, 17-year-old kid. And he was out there in the pasture tending sheep. While the rest were up at the house waiting on a promotion, there was one in the field doing the work. Which one did God choose? Yeah, you got it. So 
He said, Jesse, don't you have any more sons? He said, I got one, but he's, he's insignificant. He's young. He, he's, a, he's a dreamer. He st- sits around plucking on his little harp, a singing. He sings songs and he writes poetry and poems and, and stuff. You wouldn't want him. He said, go fetch him. Go fetch him. Go get him. And I see that servant as he, he goes to find the shepherd boy, David. And when he gets close, Jerry hears stones bouncing off of trees and rocks. And said, what are you doing? He said, one of these days the Lord's going to need a stone. <laughs> Glory to God. He was getting ready for God to use him. He, and when he came, he said, they're wanting you back at the house. He said, there's a man named Samuel there. And he's got the anointing oil and he's going to anoint a king and said, Dad told me to come get you. Stepped out and started toward the house and David said this, Surely he hath taken me from among the sheep coat and hath made me a king. Hey, don't overlook insignificance and little things. The Bible said, don't despise the day of small things. Sometimes God takes, takes little things and does great things with little insignificant things that aren't obvious. People sometimes that aren't obvious, God can use them to do mighty, mighty things. People that may not be the best educated, they may not be the best looking, they not, may not be the smartest or from the wisest family, but hey, When God says, I've got a plan for your life, and God says, I've got a destiny for you, I've got a purpose for you, then hey, God can open a door that no man can shut it. God can call you out of of insignificance and can put you in a place of prominence where what you do makes a difference. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'd like to tell you that once David got to be king and was going in pursuit. I'd like to tell you that, praise God, he, he, he just did marvelous, but the truth is he had a terrible, terrible moral failure. I told you last week about a lady named Bathsheba and about the adultery that was committed between David and Bathsheba. And I, next time you see him, he's on the ground and he's wallowing in the dust. And he lays there for seven days because you see, sin has a price tag. It will always cost you more than you want to pay. And God had told him, he said, the baby will not live. And he lay there writhing and wrestling in the dust For seven days and seven nights he lay there in dust and ashes and wouldn't eat. On the seventh day, when the servants came and mumbling among themselves, the Bible said he got up and he said, I know the baby is dead. But he made this statement. He said, I can't bring that child back to me, but I can go to where that child is. What was he saying? He was saying, Yes, I'm down. Yes, I'm miserable. Yes, I'm grieving. Yes, I'm sorrowful. Yes, I'm, I'm undone. I'm unraveled at the seams. I, I'm, I'm so, so miserable right now, but I'm not going to stay this way. 
praise God, there's going to be another day and I'm going to get up out of these ashes and I'm going to get up out of this grief and I'm going to get up out of this sorrow and I'm going to live a life so that I can go to be with my child. I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. It was the worst, worst time of his life. But before long, Bathsheba said, I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby. And that baby's name was Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. So David recovered because God gave him opportunity. He recovered from the worst disaster of his life to be a part of the greatest wisdom this world has ever known and to be used again. You see what that teaches us? Don't let the devil tell you that God's not going to use you. Don't let the devil tell you that God's promise is not going to come to pass. Don't let the devil tell you that the purpose that God began in you will never happen, never occur, that God's through with you, that God's finished with you. God said, I will not take my hand off of you until I have completed or perfected the thing which I began in you. Hey, you're not a victim. You're a victor. You're above and not beneath. You're a winner, not a loser. You're the head and not the tail. Don't let the devil defeat you when you have an opportunity. When God provides opportunity, it's not always the most obvious thing. But when God provides an opportunity, then you take advantage of what God gives you. It may be a stick or a stone or a dead man's bones. <laughs> An old soldier one time was fighting, got killed in the battle, and they threw him in the grave, in the tomb, where the bones of Elisha was. And you know, he always prayed, Lord, I want a double portion. Elisha did. Said, Elijah, I'm not gonna leave you until I have a double portion of what God did for you. Elijah did 20 miracles recorded in 1 Kings. So if he was going to do twice, now if you count them up with Elisha, there's 20 for him. Well, we're running neck and neck here because 20 and 20 is 40. So you've doubled him almost, but you got to get one more. And the Bible said that his old dry, chalky bones was laying in that tomb. And when they threw that soldier in there that had died in battle, there was resurrecting power in his dry, chalky bones that that soldier was resurrected back to life. And even though he was dead, he had enough power of God in his body, bones, that he got that 41st miracle and did twice the miracles. God can use sticks and stones. Why, who, you ever heard of Shamgar? If anybody's ever heard of Shamgar, let me see your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six. Debbie's heard it because she heard me preach it. Six out of this whole congregation knows who Shamgar is. He's in the book of Judges. 
when the Philistines oppressed the people of God. And the Bible said, there's just one verse, only one place in the whole Bible that he got his name in. And the Bible said, and Shamgar also took an ox goad, that's a stick, it's that stick that you punch the oxen in the side with to get him to go. It's a goad. <laughs> that don't, I don't need to say that. That's a funny thought. And God took that stick in Shamgar's hand, and the Bible said he killed a thousand Philistines. When everybody else ran away, he stood there and took that ox goad and said, I'm not taking this anymore. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm not going to be afraid and worried that these Philistines are going to come and steal and rob and plunder and kill. I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'd rather die trying. I'd rather take advantage of the opportunity I've got than to live in fear and anxiety and fright anymore. And the Bible said he took that ox goad and used it for a weapon. God specializes in taking what you've got and beating something that's unbeatable. So I hear God looking at you today and I hear him asking the same question. What do you have? What you got in your hand? Just like he asked that little woman that had the pot of oil. Just a little bit. What you got? Got a little bit. Got a little bit. He said, well, go fix a cake and bring it here. Put it in ministry. <laughs> Hallelujah. Next thing you know, she's got all, all the oil and meal she can handle. You see, when you take what you got and lift it up to God, then God takes the thing that's not obvious and the things that's insignificant and things that don't seemingly matter and he multiplies them and he causes them to abound and become significant in his will for your life. Well, well, opportunities demand responsibility. God may be completing the work that he began in you by shaping and molding you for great, great responsibility. He expects you to take advantage of every opportunity to walk in your destiny, his way of walking in you. Jesus in John 11 heard that his friend Lazarus was dead. God has to teach us by using small things, and hopefully he can graduate to larger things, but some of us are still stuck on small. Sometimes we're just kind of stuck and can't get past that, that place. You know, Jesus wants to teach you maturity and greater revelation. Every one of you in this house, look, Brother Jerry, right in the eye. God's got something great for you. What is it? It's deeper, wider, broader, higher. That's what he's got for you. He wants to take you further than you've ever been. He wants to make you more mature than you've ever been. Makes be more of a person with influence more than you've ever had. He wants to grow you. Sometimes he has to take you through some things in order to get you to a place of revelation. And sometimes you get mad at him and you want to divorce him because you don't like what he's leading you through. 
and you don't like those chemotherapy things, but he's taking you to a place where you'll get a no cancer report. You may be going through some things and some people may be hurting you and you may be going through with some difficulty and hardship and you may be suffering, it may be painful, but God is taking you somewhere that he'll reveal to you something greater than you've ever known before. It's the path, the path. Jesus is over here doing ministry. And here comes a a messenger and he says, got a message here from your friends over in Bethany. Mary and Martha, and they want you to come because your friend, Lazarus, that you love, he's sick. Bless God, Brother Jerry, I'd, if I was a true friend, I'd have dropped whatever I was doing. I'd run over quick as I could get there. Jesus waited three more days. Come on, Jesus. My Lord, you said you'd deliver me. I called on you last Sunday. It's now Friday, and you hadn't showed up yet. Come on, Lord, I asked you if that need would be met last month, and here it is another month, and no difference. What's going on here? And so Jesus then told the disciples after three days, said, let's go to Bethany. And as he was going, he meets a woman that was troubled about many things. Her name was Martha, the sister, the one that sent the message. And she said, Lazarus is dead. You waited too late. If you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. And I'm mad at you. I'm angry at you. No more amazing grace for me. No more putting tithes in the offering for me. In fact, I don't think I'll ever go back ask you to do something for me and you didn't do it when you could have done it. And Jesus said, if you will just believe, if you'll shut up with all that griping, if you'll shut up with all of that critical stuff, if you'll just believe, you'll see the salvation of the Lord. What Jesus was saying was, I can't just do a resurrection. I am the resurrection. And up and up until this time, you've just known me, but I want you to know me in a bigger way than you've ever known me before. I want to be revealed as something that is greater than you've ever seen me before. I want to do something that's more powerful, more significant than you've ever realized could be done through me. I want to do something. I want to change your perception of me because I'm not just one who does resurrection. I am the resurrection and I am the life. You see, the trouble with resurrection is it's wrapped up and clothed in death. And when you look at it first, all you see is deadness and all you see is loss and defeat 
and that's the clothing that resurrection is wrapped in. But when he, hallelujah, stood outside that grave, and the Bible said in St. John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. For all of you trivial pursuit people, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. I preached the whole revival one time on Jesus wept. He loved him so much. As a man, Jesus stood there and cried and wept and grieved. But as God, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Oh, hallelujah. And what happened, pastor? Out came Lazarus. Still with his trappings of the grave clothes. And Jesus said, get those clothes off of him. That's not who he is. That's not who he is. When people try to put those old rags on you and those old, old telltale things on you, Jesus said, get that off of her. That's not how she lives now. Get that old defeat garment off of him. He's not a defeated person. He's a free person. Hallelujah. You see, God has such a greater revelation than we've ever known him. For Harvest, you've got a great history and a great past, but we've not even seen a drop in the bucket to what God could do if we recognized him and the revelation that he wants us to see in I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for them that love him. And that's not pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. That's right now, honey. He wants you to have a peace that passes all understanding. He wants you to have a joy that's unspeakable, that's full of glory. He wants you to have a healing that heals both soul, mind, and body. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be complete in him. I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, ask these people, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? Maybe we're like the guy at the pool at Bethesda in John 5. Jesus said, wilt thou be made whole? He said, oh, that is not going to happen. I can't get in. Let me tell you, there will always be an excuse. And it will always be other people. I can't get in. Because while I'm coming, somebody always beats me. I never make it in time. I'm always left out. I've been laying on this pallet for 38 years. And every time, somebody else, I can't get there. It won't happen. Works for others, but it won't work for me. That's the biggest lie the devil ever sold anybody. That it won't work for you. That you can have faith for somebody else, but you can't have faith for yourself. You can believe that God can do it for Natalie and Kim, and you got, believe God can do it for Jerry, but, but he, he can't do that for me. Yes, he can. I said, yes, he can. I said, yes, he can. Wilt thou be made whole? Lord, I don't have anybody. Nobody really cares about me. 
I don't have anybody. If it weren't for the fact that it, there's no use in trying because everybody else beats me, I don't have anybody to put me in. I'm laying here with no help. Nobody cares. And that's the, another big lie that the devil tells everybody that nobody cares. There is somebody who cares. More than other people, there's a God who cares. Hallelujah. There is someone who cares. There is someone who would go to the extra effort to get you to your destiny. Arise, Jesus said, if you want to be made whole, let's do away with the excuses. If you want to be made whole, arise, take advantage of your opportunity. Jesus said to him, take up your bed and walk. And immediately, I think that was in last Sunday's lesson, wasn't it? Immediately, the Bible said his ankle bones received strength and he leaping up stood, took up his bed, started walking. Here's another reason why, why he said it won't happen. First person he met was his pastor. Don't you know that man's crazy? Don't you know that man? What, what are you doing toting that bed on the Sabbath day anyway? Don't you know that man's a sinner? Don't you know he's an imposter? He said, the same man that told me to carry this bed told me to get up and walk. He said, you call him anything you want to call him. I don't care what your criticism is. I don't care what your fault finding is. I don't care what, what your slanderous tongue may say. I know one thing. I was laying on a mat for 38 years and going nowhere with nobody to care. And one day he came by and he said to me, get up on your feet and walk. Hallelujah. All I know is he did it for me. Hallelujah. Old blind Bartimaeus sitting there on the side of the road. He said, I hear a commotion. I can't see, but what's going on? There's a commotion. I, I hear a crowd coming down the road. said, oh, it's that rabbi from Nazareth. It's that man they call Jesus. He said, he's coming this way. He said, get me to the side of the road. Somebody get me over there. Let me get over there. Somebody take me. Come. Oh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. What was he doing? Taking advantage of his opportunity. Taking advantage. Jesus is passing by this way. We used to sing, he's passing by this moment. Your need he'll supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as he walks by. Brother, if you can just position yourself where he's coming by, if you can just reach out there and stretch and stretch and reach out and touch him, all things can be different for you. All things can change. All things will be made new for you. What a Savior. So while Jesus is preaching, there was somebody that needed to get in. Actually, there were four men. My daddy used to name them when he'd preach about that. We'll name them Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And me. <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And Don. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And W.H. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And Steve. That's four, ain't it? Praise God. 
the Bible said they came bearing one that was sick and was palsied. He couldn't walk, couldn't work. His speech was probably impaired. But some believing people. Is there any believing people in here? Believing people. People of faith. People with trust. People that believe that God can do anything. Miracles. They went and got this guy. And the Bible said they called it a mat. Why don't we just call him Matt? We don't have a name. Got another one of those no names here. One of those no names. Let's just call him Matt. But when those guys was carrying Matt down the road, where y'all taking me? We're going over to synagogue. What's going on over there? Jesus of Nazareth is preaching today. As they got close to the synagogue, they saw people all around, up the steps, out in the churchyard, down by the picnic tables, all over the place, wall-to-wall people, in so much that they could not get in. People were keeping a desperate man from getting to Jesus. If that had been some of us at harvest, would have said, sorry, pal. Don't look like we can get in line today. It looks like there's too many today. This won't work today. Best thing we can do, I guess, is get you back home where we come from. Come on, before you snub and snugly look at that, you went back home like you came some Sundays too. And he was in the house, and you didn't have to get by many people to get to where he was. But you went back to that same old life with that same old issue. Come on! With that same old thing that was bothered you all these years. They said, we'll just turn around and take him back, I guess. No, no, no. There's got to be another way. Love will find a way. Faith will find a way. Hope will find a way. Strength, the name of the Lord, will find a way. We got to find a way. Got to find a way. And the Bible said they climbed up on the roof. They found another way to get in. I could preach a long time about that main entrance where normal people go in. Well, we normally just go in the front door. Yeah, all normal folks do. Some folks, they don't come the way other folks come. Some folks aren't normal, so they don't use the normal door. They come in a different way. I said they come in a different way. Couldn't make it in the main door like everybody else does, so we've got to find another way. Got to find another door. We've got to get there. He preached the word while the doors were all barred up. Come on, Connor, and help me quit. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. 
They had no way, so they made a way. Have you ever had to make a way? <laughs> Old Ezekiel was standing there and his accusers and haters and despisers and opposition had backed him up against a, a wall and he was standing at that wall not knowing what he was going to say. They were about to kill him and God spoke to him and said, turn around and look at that wall. And the Bible said he turned around and said there was a little crevice in that wall and God said, dig in it. And he started digging in that crevice and it suddenly became a door. I said it became a door. I said it became a door. If you'll look around in that wall that you're standing by that you think has you all walled in and you think that you can't get out and you think that you're done for, if you'll look around somewhere, you'll see a little crevice. And if you'll start digging in that crevice, you'll find a door that God put there before you ever... Before you ever come to that place, God put a door in that rock. See, he knows my future. And he's already put doors in my future for where I'm going to need. Oh, you're not getting this. My Lord, I wish I, I could get it to you like God got it to me. There wasn't a way in, so they made a way in. Had to tear up something in order to make a way. Sometimes God has to tear up some things in our life to get in. Sometimes we've got that door blocked too. And God can't get in. It's different when we can't get in, but when he can't get in because we got people and we got things and we got issues that he can't get in, but he'll, he'll find a way. I'm not worried about him. I'm worried about you because you need to find a way. And you need to find a means. You need to find a door. You need to find an opportunity. There was a door there. And the Bible said that when Jesus looked up, verse 5, when he saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Wow. Well, he just went in another door. Praise God. He hadn't got up off the, off the mat yet, but Matt was still laying there, sick with the palsy, but he was saved. Sick with a palsy, but he was saved. But it was a great thing that happened that day, wasn't it? That he got saved. He walked through the door of salvation. Jesus said, I am the door, and if any man come in by me, he shall be saved. Oh, brother, do you remember when you walked through that door? You remember that door that you walked through when you left your old self outside and you became a new creature in Christ on this side? That door that transitioned you out of bondage and into the liberty that is in Christ, out of the darkness and the power of darkness into the light that is in Christ Jesus. You remember going through that door? This guy did that. Got saved laying right there on that mat, limbs all warped. And Jesus said, you be saved. Your sins are forgiven you. You start living a life of a saved person. If nothing else happened, boy, that was a great thing Jesus just did for him. That was the main thing that happened. That was the best thing that happened that day was he got saved. I told Kirsten, best thing ever happened to you today is you got saved. Two more Sundays, the best thing ever happened to us, you got baptized. 
Hallelujah. Started living like a saved person. Hey, he walked out of death into life. He walked out of being paralyzed, praise God, spiritually paralyzed into being liberated and free spiritually. But there was something that happened that caused Jesus to take further action. You know what it was? It was opposition and criticism. For the scribes said, why is he forgiving people for sin? Why is he saying to this man, you're sin? Well, that's blasphemous. Nobody can forgive sin but God. This man is saying he's the son of God then, that he can forgive people for sins. And Jesus said, that you may know. God wants you to know. Jesus said, I want you to know that you may know that the Son of God has power to forgive sins. He saith to the one that was sick of the palsy, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. Wow. Boy, somebody ought to shout it out a big hallelujah. Because you know what happened? He did exactly that. He jumped out of the mat, got off of that mat. And suddenly, those palsied limbs straightened up. Suddenly, those legs that were weak and no strength suddenly became powerful. Suddenly, that body that couldn't even lift itself lifted up the bed that carried him in there. He carried it out of there. He carried it out of there. They carried him in there on it, but he carried it out of there. And did you notice it was a whole lot easier to get out of there than it was to get in there? Glory to God. And you know what caused that to happen? Opposition, criticism, mean-spiritedness that was aimed at him. And Jesus did the miracle and the, he, he got his healing. He got his deliverance because of the opposition. So if that be true, you need to write some thank you letters. Thank you for all those mean things you said about me. Thank you for all that slanderous remarks that you made about me. Thank you. Thank you because those blessings God opened up to me. Because I found out a man that got healed because of the opposition. He got healed. He got a miracle because of criticism and people fault finding and dragging and tearing him down suddenly suddenly Jesus said well that you may know I can forgive sins get up from there glory to God isn't that something then I need to write some thank you letters and say thank you thank you for being mean to me thank you for thank you for all all, all the hurt that you tried to do to me thank you for all hey I'm not talking about me I'm talking about all of y'all because when you endure Endure, endure, then the Bible says that God is a rewarder of that diligent spirit that you've got. That you go on in spite of opposition, you go on in spite of hardship and difficulty. So I thank God for the mountains, and I thank God for the valleys, and I thank God for the things He's brought me through. 
For if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve it. I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. So I thank people for the valleys and I thank people for the mountains and I thank people for all the storms that God brought me through. Because if I had never had a storm and I'd never had a hardship and I'd never had a difficulty and I'd never had a time when I had to trust Him for everything, I wouldn't know that God could solve it. I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. So I thank you, and I thank you, and I thank you, and I thank you, and I thank you. Woo! Glory to God. In all things, with thanksgiving. In all things, with thanksgiving. Why? Because when I'm weak, I'm made strong. Oh, when I think I'm in my darkest hour, that's where God turns up the light. When I think I'm locked in and can't get out, God shows up with an angel to swing the door back and let me go free. When I think I'm down for the count and I'm not ever going to get back up, God always shows up with a miracle. When I think I'm done for and it's not going to happen, God always comes to our rescue. Do you remember the Sunday? I used to keep in the old pulpit up at McClellan Boulevard on Brighton Avenue. I kept a photo album in there of missionaries. We had so many missionaries back then and friends of mine that I'd traveled so much then and I knew missionaries all over the world had their pictures in there. And one of my good friends was an overseer of Japan. His name was Yatsuzuka Yakamoto. I like to say that, don't you? Yaka, Yakasuka Yamamoto. I was in his house, preached at his church, came back from Tokyo, Manila, Seoul, Korea. And I had those pictures, and they were in that pulpit there. I don't know what ever happened to them. Somehow in the move over here, they got packed in a box somewhere. And I used to open up that photo album sometimes when I was preaching and I just laid my hand on it under the pulpit there. And one day while I was preaching, Mark, God spoke to me and he said, open that up. And I pulled it out from the desk and laid it up on the pulpit and I opened it up. And he said, open it up. And I stuck my finger in it and I opened it up and it opened up to Yatsuzuka Yamamoto. And God said, take him up and offer him. I said, Lord, help God. We need every dime we can get around here. You want us to send some to somebody? He said, take him up an offering. I took up an offering for Yatsuzuka. Unbeknownst to me, his son had been sick with a terrible infection and needed a certain kind of treatment at the Army Hospital there in Tokyo. And it was going to cost something like a thousand and Nine dollars and twenty-one cents. That's the figure that comes to my mind. The offering for that morning when I took it up, I wrote it out. I put it in a paper. I sent it to headquarters. They sent it to Tokyo, Japan. 
and I got a response from Yatsuzuka. He said the treatment that my son needed to save his life was $1,009.21. Do you think that just happens? Do you think that those things just happen? No, they don't happen like that. God, I said God, I said God. Hey, you may think that God is limited in what he can do, but I want to tell you there's nothing that my God can't do. I said there's nothing that my God can't do. Miracles and wonders. There's nothing. We used to sing that. Lisa, you remember those songs we sing? There is nothing, no nothing that my God can't do. How big is God? How big and vast His great domain. To try to tell these lips can only start. He's big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to live within your heart. Wow. Our God is a big God. Stand with me, please. Hallelujah. There's an old song that you know well, I think. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you'll trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you'll trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Praise God. Praise God. That's what I want all of you in this house to do this morning. Are you willing to do that? Hey, we got an opportunity. Got an opportunity. Got his attention. You, we've got his attention. What do you mean, Brother Jerry? His ear is cupped to the cry of the righteous. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. Got his attention. Got an opportunity. I said, we got an opportunity. We got an opportunity. You want to talk to him about your burden? We'll lift that one hand right up. Let's like that two hands if you want to put both of them. I call them antennas. Dear Lord Jesus, I've heard your word. And I know an opportunity is mine for the asking. Right now, in Jesus' name, you already know what's in my heart. You know my request. You know my burden. You know the load that I carry. And in Jesus' name, Right now, I cast all my care upon you because you care about me. And in Jesus' name, I'll bear my burden no more. I'm going to leave it right here with you, Lord. And in Jesus' name, I'll not be fearful. I'll not be frightened. I'll not be anxious. But in Jesus' name, I will walk in faith. I will walk in power. I will walk by grace. 
I will live in the Spirit. And your grace and your power and your peace will sustain me in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. some great praise right before we good leave today. Let's give God some great praise. Thank you, God. We worship you, Lord. We bless your name. We praise your name, God. We give you all glory and all honor and all praise. Bless your name, Jesus. Thank you, God. Now may the God of all grace lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Make his face to shine upon you and go with you as you exit his house. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and God go with you. Have a great, great Lord's Day. Amen.